You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you very much, Anne, and welcome to All About Skills. This is a weekly series of programs about the skills that your children and your grandchildren will need, skills that you need to get ahead in your career, and those that we all need to function effectively for our constitutional republic to survive. My name is Charlie Jett, and I'm coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. Now, in the last program, we talked about authentic assessment. That is, how do you actually measure how well a student has learned the critical skills? This week, I'm going to talk about some of the ways that critical skills may be taught. This is episode number 16, and it's about what's known as work-based learning. So let's get started. I recently read an article written by Thomas Showalter and Katie Spiker in a paper published in October of 2016 that summarized the current workforce situation very well. It focuses on younger workers as well as minority populations and their arguments do not bode well for the future of the labor force in our country. To communicate what they had to say best, I think it would be to quote directly what they wrote. So here goes. The United States labor market is steadily recovering from the Great Recession. Overall unemployment is below 4% for the first time since 2007, and businesses are adding new workers to take advantage of the emerging opportunities. This economic upturn, however, has not benefited younger workers at the same rate as the overall workforce. Individuals between the ages of 20 and 24 have an unemployment rate of nearly double the national average, and the jobless rate for individuals between the ages of 16 and 19 is nearly triple of the national rate. Overall, there are about 5.5 million youth in the United States who are neither in school nor working, and there are millions of others who are at risk of becoming disconnected from school or work. Each year, more than one million students drop out of high school. More than 200,000 enter the criminal justice system. There are more than 200,000 who become teen mothers, and more than 26,000 young people age out of the foster system. All of these are strong predictors of a youth's future disconnection from school or work. And these numbers are worse for minority populations. While 14% of all youth are disconnected, rates of disconnection for Native American young people are an astonishing 28%. About 22% of black youth and about 16% of Latinos between the ages of 16 and 24 are not in school or they're not working. Disconnected and at-risk youth have more difficulty finding employment. They earn less throughout their careers, they're more likely to be incarcerated, and they're more likely to be young parents than their peers who are in school or working. 
Youth unemployment also leads to lost income tax revenue, a greater burden on safety net programs, and increased expenses associated with higher crime levels. That's an estimated annual cost to the American taxpayer of about, get ready for it, $93 billion. Connecting these younger populations to high-quality employment and training opportunities is critical to ensure that the next generation of workers can access the same economic opportunities as generations before. For employers in need of a skilled and trained workforce, and in particular, those seeking to build a pipeline of new talent to sustain economic competitiveness, these opportunities youth and other at-risk youth offer an untapped resource to fill skill gaps and meet short and long-term business needs. Many businesses are uncertain about how best to engage with younger workers, though, and many have concerns about real or perceived risks associated with hiring disadvantaged youth. Strategies that allow businesses to expand their recruitment and hiring practices into younger populations offer benefits to both workers and for businesses. One emerging strategy for strengthening connections between the at-risk youth and local businesses is to expand investments in youth work-based learning programs, such as paid internships, on-the-job training, apprenticeships, and other models. Work-based learning is generally defined as training that takes place within the context of wage earning, long-term employment relationships between a business and a worker, in which a learning worker has the opportunity to develop measurable skills, critical skills, through instruction at the work site and, where appropriate, at a school or training program. This measurable acquisition of skills should lead to incremental higher wages and potentially an industry-recognized credential for these young people. While long recognized as a best practice for adult workers, Work-based learning has not always been a significant component of youth service strategies. Recent changes in the Federal Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act reflect a growing interest in work-based learning as a youth model, and that requires local workforce areas to expand at least 20% of their youth formula funds on work experience and expanding the list of work-based learning strategies from the previous focus on summer jobs programs to include internships, apprenticeships, job shadowing, and other employer-based models. Now that was taken from an article written by Thomas Showalter and Katie Spiker in their article in October 2016 that summarized the current workforce situation, and I think they did that very well. Now let's turn to some specific programs about work-based learning. You often hear parents in high, with high school students say that uh, my, my child is going to college. Work-based learning is not for the college bound. What nonsense that is. There's a wide variety of work-based learning experiences that can add terrific value to the college bound student. Such experiences can get the students out of the academic classroom and when properly structured can give students a taste of how to apply their skills in the real world. That cannot be anything but helpful. It's applicable not only to students who aren't going to college and will be entering the workforce or for the college-bound student. 
Work-based learning has demonstrated value in even the most technical of fields. How many individuals, for example, would like to have a surgeon remove their gallbladder without his or her having any work-based learning experiences, such as being a medical intern after earning an MD degree, or spending four plus years as a surgical resident practicing his or her surgical skills? Or how many individuals would dare to take a ride on a commercial airline knowing that the pilots had no work-based learning experience? Work-based learning experiences go far beyond simple training for various vocational careers. Internships are useful in helping students find the connection between academic learning and real hands-on learning in the real workplace setting. Paid or unpaid, they add significant value to the overall student learning process. Their goal is to enable students to learn and practice the critical skills in an authentic setting their goal is not to teach students all the aspects of a particular kind of business. In fact, it doesn't really matter what a student does in a work-based learning experience, so long as the tasks and projects they work on are, and this is important, connected to the kind of critical skills they should be learning. Work-based learning programs range from simple introductory programs to programs that enable students to practice their critical skills in considerable depth. As a practical matter, I believe that all students should have some sort of work-based learning experience while in high school. This includes college-bound students. Now let's look at some examples of work-based learning programs. First of all, tours. The simplest work-based learning program is the company tour. Many schools have business partners who sponsor student tours to their workplaces and introduce the students to what goes on in their particular businesses. This might include a tour of a manufacturing plant where some product is made, or to a professional organization such as a law firm, or a tool of the local city council where the students can actually see city management in action. Another very common uh, work-based learning program is job shadowing. Now, the purpose of a job shadowing program is to enable a student to learn about a career, a job, what people do during the course of their work, what kinds of skills and competencies are necessary to succeed in the world of work, and to reflect personally on how education in school can provide such skills and competencies for any kind of career or work. Students should observe, take notes, reflect, and report on their individual experiences. Now let me give you an example of a job shadowing experience with a typical company. And I'll give it to you in the format that I described in the authentic assessment segment of uh, the podcast series. And that is a position concept and then the specific tasks and assignments. Now the job shadowing work-based learning agreement for this particular situation is as follows. First of all, the position concept. The purpose of this job shadowing program is to enable students to learn about careers, jobs, what people do during the course of their work, what kind of skills and competencies are necessary to succeed in the world of work, and to reflect personally on how education in school can provide such skills and competencies for any kind of career or work. Students should observe, take notes, reflect, and report on their individual experiences. 
Now that was the position concept for the job shadowing experience. Here are the specific tasks and assignments. First, develop a plan for the job shadowing experience to include learning objectives such as the kind of skills and competencies needed to perform well in the workplace, interview questions to be asked of the workers, and questions about careers in particular fields of interest related to the job shadowing experience. Discuss your plan and objectives with your teacher or supervisor. Secondly, meet with the assigned worker each day of the job shadow experience and discuss the upcoming day's activities. Check to see if the activities are consistent with your learning objectives and review your learning objectives with the worker. Third, accompany the worker as he or she goes about his or her daily activities. When appropriate, ask questions related to the job from ideas that might arise as well as those questions that you have prepared for the job shadowing experience. Take notes so you can reflect later on the experience and discuss your observations with the worker. Fourth, make a list of the kind of skills and competencies that you observe are necessary to perform well in the workplace, specifically in this job. Discuss these skills and competencies with the worker and collect examples in your notes of the kinds of projects and tasks that require the skills and competencies that you discover. Fifth, take time to reflect on the skills and competencies needed to perform successfully in the workplace. Draw a diagram or write a short paragraph that connects the skills and competencies you discover to specific classroom courses and activities conducted in school. Demonstrate how these activities connect to such skills and competencies. Six, prepare an overall report that summarizes what you have learned in the job shadowing experience. List those items that you consider most important in order of priority to you. Submit your report to the teacher and discuss it. And finally, ensure that you follow the job shadowing checklist to ensure that all elements, such as a follow-up thank you note, completion of the career exploration packet or whatever you have, and the like. Now, in that job shadowing work-based learning agreement, each of those tasks is connected to specific skills that the student should be learning. And because of this, the authentic assessment document can be used as a more formal job shadowing program assessment document. A creative example of a short but effective job shadowing program was the Eagle Scout Recognition Day, which I had the pleasure of coordinating in Chicago for a couple of years back in the days of school to work. That was in the 90s. In this program, about 60 Eagle Scouts were treated to a half-day participation with the Chicago City Council, where they were paired up with a specific alderman. The students were then treated to a luncheon where a featured speaker would give a short talk about the importance of critical skills. Three of the featured speakers we had were former Chicago Mayor Harold Washington, astronaut Jim Lovell, and former baseball owner Charlie Finley. In the afternoon, we had set up job shadowing experiences, much like that I described to you, for the students in their primary areas of interest. About six of the students spent the afternoon at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital in Chicago exploring the world of medicine because of their interest in becoming physicians. One student had an interest in sports management, so we paired him up with the late Jim Finks, general manager of the Chicago Bears. 
Jim spent the afternoon with the student in the Bears' offices and then went to football practice with the student, followed by dinner at the student's home. Another creative example was with a student who wanted to be a political cartoonist. We paired this student up with an artist from the Chicago Sun-Times, and during the afternoon, he and the artist created a political cartoon for publication in the paper for the next day. Now, on a national level, the National Groundhog Job Shadow Day has been around for a long time. As I said, this is a national campaign that gives students a perspective on their academic studies through a one-day job shadowing experience. Students are matched up with a local mentor with whom they sh or for whom they shadow for a day to see how their knowledge and skills apply in the real world. It's a joint effort of America's Promise, Alliance for Youth, Joint Junior Achievement, and the U.S. Department of Labor. Annually, more than one million students participate with approximately 100,000 businesses nationwide. Some industries have specialized efforts to introduce students to their industry. Mentorships. Mentorship programs range from a simple relationship between a student and a working professional where they occasionally get together and talk about a specific career to a much more formal program. An example of a formal mentorship program is one that I heard about called the Gifted Mentorship Program offered by the Anchorage, Alaska School District, and it's as follows, and I'll quote. The Gifted Men Mentorship Program is for the exceptional 11th and 12th grade high school student who has the self-discipline and interest to pursue independent study under the direction of a professional or an expert in a field of great interest to the student. The mentor program is a part of the district's gifted program. Mentorship study programs for, for, are for high-ability, high-achieving students who have completed all advanced coursework available at the high school level or who are currently enrolled in coursework that applies to areas of their interest. The program gives motivated, mature high school students an idea of what it is like to work in a field of their interest by being teamed with a professional who acts as their mentor during the 45 to 60 hour program. The mentor, the student, and the coordinator design a curriculum of activities and projects that expose the student to real-life work situations, as well as the latest information and technology in the field. The mentorship is usually comp completed in 90 days. Meeting times are arranged when it works best for the mentor and for the student, usually after school and on in-service days. Students receive an elective credit for the mentorship when they successfully complete a range of requirements. And again, that's the gifted mentorship program offered by the Anchorage, Alaska School District, and it's excellent. Here's another example, registered apprenticeships. Registered apprenticeships represent a formal program spearheaded by the U.S. Department of Labor and are intended to give students an intensive experience in a particular vocational field, resulting in the award of a registered apprentice certificate. Here is how the registered apprenticeship is described at the U.S. Department of Labor's website, and I quote, Registered apprenticeship programs are sponsored and operated on a voluntary basis by individual employers, employer associations, or jointly through the labor management agreements. Programs are enhanced through strategic partnerships consisting of community-based organizations, educational institutions, the workforce system, and other stakeholders. 
Registered apprenticeship program sponsors develop a set of structured standards that include requirements for related classroom instruction and paid on-the-job learning with appropriate supervision. Sponsors then register their program standards and apprentices with the Office of Apprenticeship or a state apprenticeship agency recognized by the department. Through apprenticeship agreements, sponsors and apprentices agree to the requirements of the registered program. At the successful completion of the on-the-job and instructional learning, apprentices receive an industry-issued, nationally recognized portable certificate of completion. And this is currency for them to take with them when they go on the job. Now there's another program called cooperative education. Cooperative education programs represent a structured combination of classroom and practical work experience. Students are generally given credit for such experiences and serve in meaningful internship positions, both paid and unpaid, with participating business partners of a school district. Now regarding internships, probably the most common and classic example of work-based learning is the paid or unpaid internship. Now these come not only in purely in internship programs, but in other such programs such as service learning. Students generally spend a semester in a work-based experience situation that is structured, much like I described in the authentic assessment uh, episode. This structure is important because students are participating in internship programs to gain practice and experience with critical skills in the real world. Accordingly, all internships should, should connect with the kind of skills and competencies that are needed by the students. Otherwise, why should they be doing it? And if you connect these skills with the, or connect the tasks with the skills and competencies, then you can do authentic assessment. During the school to work program years, some years ago, we provided management software that enabled teachers to create meaningful internship programs and then forced the connection with each task and or project with the SCANS Foundation Skills and Competencies, a set of skill, uh, critical skills that were provided by the U.S. Department of Labor. Let me give you an example of a typical internship. Now this internship is the elementary school teacher aid. And I'll give it to you the same way I gave you the job shadowing one, the position concept, and then the specific tasks and assignments. Position concept. The elementary school teacher aide will assist teachers in class with various instructional and supervising responsibilities. Duties will include playing with the children, assisting with classroom assignments, observation of behavior, and assisting in maintaining a clean and orderly appearance of the classroom and early learning areas. Now the specific tasks and assignment, again, each one uh, connected directly to the critical skills. First, a general one. Serve in a general capacity as an elementary school teacher aide and perform such duties as may be required. That's sort of a catch-all. Now the second one. Take responsibility for upholding classroom rules and use positive discipline techniques as instructed by the teacher. Conduct classroom cleanup and organize materials as instructed by the instructor. Assist students in their studies. Specifically, read to the children. Assist them in their own reading. Help with math problems and any other academic lessons. 
Design an activity sheet or learning game to be used as a classroom teaching aid and use what you have designed under the direction of the supervisor or teacher. Demonstrate an understanding of effective model techniques when working with children. Observe and record a child's behavior and explain any significant findings to the teacher. Assist children in using a computer, showing students how to use the various programs and how the computer can help them in school. Write a report of your experience and make helpful suggestions to the teacher on how to improve the teacher aid position in the future. Now, as I mentioned, each of those tasks is connected to specific skills. By doing so, this enables you to actually make a authentic assessment document that against which the student can be assessed in performance and get an accurate measure of how they performed against those critical skills. Again, these student internship programs are intended to give students meaningful experience in the real world with practice of the kinds of skills and competencies that they need. Hence, it's very important to make sure that all of the project and tasks that are to be done by the students correlate with a meaningful set of critical skills. Service learning. Service learning combines classroom instruction with the real-world meaningful community service activity. It's intended to provide students with a meaningful exposure to community service while enabling them to exercise critical thinking and personal reflection on the meaning of the service performed. Service learning programs can take many forms and the state of Maryland was the first state to require 75 hours of service learning as a prerequisite to graduation. Since implementation of the service learning programs in Maryland, approximately 60,000 students participate in various programs statewide and they represent approximately 4.5 million hours of community service provided annually. And finally, we come to my favorite and probably the most comprehensive one that we've mentioned earlier in, in ep earlier episodes, and that is the field study. As we discussed, the field studies represent the most comprehensive meaning of teaching the critical skills. They're conducted by teams of students who address meaningful business and or community issues. These students are required to articulate a problem write a detailed proposal letter outlining the issues to be addressed, describe their methodology, explain what they plan to deliver as a product, and determine the timetable for their work. Then they proceed to collect their information and data, check it for accuracy and truthfulness, conduct a detailed analysis, develop findings, conclusions, and recommendations, and then write a final report and present it orally to their client. Now you can get a detailed description of field studies on my website and I'll give that website address to you. It's called fieldstudiesblog.com. That's again just a one long word, fieldstudiesblog.com. Well that's about it for work-based learning. Now work-based learning is not just for those students who will not attend college. It's important for everyone. Yes, it's important for the college-bound student. Now, in episode number 17, next week, we're going to talk about a more sophisticated program to teach the critical skills. It's the last one I mentioned, and it's the program called Field Studies. And again, you can find out a little bit about that if you go to fieldstudiesblog.com. 
Following that, and in the next episodes, we'll begin the interviewing process of talking with people who are movers and shakers in the world of teaching critical skills. So, in the meantime, give some thought to these critical skills. Again, they are communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, and continuous education. My name is Charlie Jett, and I thank you all for joining me as we continue our journey that is all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.